For the help of the Lord, I direct your prayerful attention to Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians chapter 4, the chapter that we read. And we'll read for our text verses 10 and 11, but it is principally the last part of each of those verses that I decided to bring before you. Verse from verse 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 10 and 11 for reference, but it is these last words on both of these verses that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies, the word in verse 10, in verse 11, we have that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So if there was any thought in verse 10 that it might be our body when resurrected and beyond the grave, the Apostle makes it very clear, no, this belongs to this time stay in our mortal flesh It is in that that the life of Jesus might be manifested. Now this time of year we we think of the life of our Lord. We uh, say this afternoon, because I live, ye shall live also. And the evidences of Christ rising, his uh, rising from the dead, his ascension into heaven, But here we have another way that the life of Jesus is manifest. Now, remember the the word manifest means to make clear or obvious to the eye of mind. So he is saying, here is a believer, here is the apostle, and those things that he goes through in his life the things that he goes through are for the purpose of showing the life of the Lord in his body or in his mortal flesh. That men would look upon him as a believer, as a preacher and that they would see evidence of a living Christ. And it's especially put forth here in relation to the Corinthians. We might think, well, is he not speaking just of himself as an apostle, a preacher? This doesn't apply to an ordinary believer. Because he says later on, he says in verse 12, So then death worketh in us, but life in you. You know, years ago I read an account of William Huntington. William Huntington, a preacher in London, and he built a chapel down the road from ours at Cranbrook, Providence, over top of the warehouse of Isaac Beeman, who was a member at St David's Bridge. And he left St David's Bridge to take that cause there. But William Huntington, fiery preacher who was born near Cranbrook as well, and at one time he was very, very low in his soul, very tried, very tempted, and really laboured with his preaching. He found it very difficult, very hard, and he couldn't work out why. He was feeling like that, but the people were being blessed. People were being favoured. Because he was coming where they were. He was walking in paths of trial and temptation and preaching out of that and setting forth before them what they needed and what the Lord was pleased to bless. 
So in that sense, the Lord in what he brings his servants to walk in and to experience causes them to enter into the paths of his people and his people live through that. The ministry is a living ministry and it speaks to their souls, it speaks to that which a sinner needs, a saviour, a help outside of themselves. Now the Apostle is very clear here that he is as an Apostle, as a believer, but especially as an Apostle, a possessor of a treasure, a possessor of the blessing of God. And he says it is in a vessel, a treasure that's in an earthen vessel, made of earth. The Apostle was but a man. And in several places, we were well, we told he himself, his bodily presence was contemptible. People looked upon him and they despised him. They said to him, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence doesn't answer up to, to what his letters are. But the Apostle makes it very clear that his power and the blessing and that which he brought doesn't come from him. It comes from God. And that treasure is put in an earthen vessel. And so, in one sense, we have the Apostle or the preachers set forth here. But then later on in the chapter, he brings them together. He clearly says that those things that go through for all things are for your sakes in verse 15 that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God but he's looking at those things that bring them together the same spirit of faith the same God that raised them up together and united them and joined them Together, God has not seen fit to send angels to preach. He sent an angel to Cornelius and the angel told him to go and to get Peter, go to Joppa, go to that place where Jonah went down to to run away from the Lord because he did not want to preach to the Gentiles. The first time that the Holy Spirit is to be given to the Gentiles, the same equivalent to Pentecost, ten years after Pentecost, the Lord chose to bring the preacher from Joppa, but he prepared him first with the vision from the, uh, the sheet let, let down from heaven, with all of the unclean beasts in it, arise, Peter, kill and eat. He said, I've never eaten anything common or unclean, the Lord said to him, That which God hath cleansed, call not thou common or unclean. And that was done three times. And the Lord prepared him then to willingly, freely go and preach to the Gentiles. The other apostles, when they heard it, they held him to account. You went in to those that were uncircumcised. You preached to them. But he rehearsed the matter from the beginning. When they heard it, they said, Then hath God also to the Gentiles given repentance unto life. Always love to see the, the ordering of the Lord of this because the Apostle Paul was the Apostle to the Gentiles but God did not use him to be the one that preached at the time the Holy Spirit was given. Otherwise the Gentiles would have said well the Spirit was given by the Apostle Paul for us and the Jews would say no, no, but we, we had Peter for us but the whole church is one and in the giving of the Holy Spirit in that special way Peter was used in both occasions so Peter when the Spirit was given to the Gentiles could clearly say he fell on them as at us at the beginning not because he'd heard of it by report but he'd actually seen it and been a witness of it and he'd been the preacher on both those occasions. And so we have the uh, apostle uh, preaching the word and preaching to the people of God, not an angel. And the word was, and Peter when he went to Cornelius, the word was 
so blessed with power uh, and it is here that the excellency of the power may may be of God and not of us. But what is upon my spirit uh, this evening is specifically this what is shown us in the last part of these two verses. The life also Jesus might be made manifest in our body or manifest in our mortal flesh. We have a picture of this and really it is a searching word for every believer is is the life of Jesus manifest in our flesh. Is it clear and obvious in our mortal bodies. Now some of us we may really struggle I know years ago I felt almost as it were an argument with the Lord I said Lord if I was not if I didn't have so many corruptions so many temptations so many besetting sins I could serve thee so much better. And you know The Lord has taught me this. It is through sin, temptation, through those things that we are brought to know the Saviour of sinners and the one that delivers from that. And if you and I had no sense of sinnership, we'd have no need of he whose name is Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. And so if you and I are to show the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's in our mortal flesh, we're showing it as sinners. Those encompassed with infirmity, those troubled by sins, besetting sins, those tempted by the devil, those pulled by the world and attacked by the world, all that belongs to being in the world, but not of it. And there is shown forth the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has so ordered this in Gospel days, in this time of the preaching of the Gospel, that his dear people are his witnesses and each one are a trophy of grace and that what he works in them is not hid, it cannot be hid. It is shown, it is observed. Men took knowledge of the the apostles. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. Because they had learned of him, been taught of him and it had been seen and it had been noticed. Sometimes we we don't even know that we show forth that difference ourselves at all. We would not be able to explain it to others at all. And yet others do notice it. Sometimes it can be quite a shock when it is actually put before us what they've actually seen or noticed. Remember once, and it is when I was given the employment uh, just across the road from where I had been working, and it was the employment I had for some 12 years before coming over here and then continued to work for them for another three years over here. Now I've been seeking a new position uh, of employment, I was unhappy where I was and the draftsman that I was working with, he knew that. And he was friends with the managing director of the firm across the road. And he had said to me, he said, I'll make some inquiries, he said, I'll see if I can get you a position there. Well, I came in one day and he suddenly said to me, he said, oh, he said, I've arranged an interview, he said, for you. It's quarter an hour's time, he says, in your lunch hour, you better get over there. He says, I've told them all about you. 
He said, I told him you're a Christian and you don't swear and you read the Bible and you go to church and you haven't got a television. He reamed off all of these things. And I just stood there and thought, you noticed all about that? You told this prospective employer all of these things before I've even seen him. And it, it was a shock to me that they noticed those things. And it can't be hid where there were, I think I was 24 years of age at that time. And these things are noticed. But here in the context here, the Apostle is speaking of very specific things that manifest the life of God, that show the life of God. And it's not the things that we normally think. Not the things that even we say or we do but it's the things that are given by God and if we would take verse 11 for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. In verse 10 it is always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. And with our Lord before he rose from the dead he must die first. In the ordinances of the Lord's house, those that are baptised, they're buried with him by baptism into death, then risen in newness of life. And that is the order of it. In the experience of the Apostle Paul, if we were to read in Romans 7, he says, I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And that which was ordained unto life, I found to be unto death. Because the law, it came and it slew him. It took away his self-righteousness. It took away his hope of heaven in himself as a Pharisee of the Pharisees and he brought him in as a guilty, hell-deserving sinner. It brought him to be the position of the publican in the temple, not the Pharisee. How is the life of Jesus manifested in those two in the temple? Certainly not with the Pharisee he could stand and he could rehearse all what he'd done for the Lord and all how good he was. But the publican, he couldn't lift up his face to the Lord. He beat upon his breast. He cried, God be merciful to me a sinner. Him either takes it up, mercy through blood, I make my plea, God be merciful to me. And the way that the Lord Jesus Christ, his life becomes obvious, becomes clear in the life of a believer is through death. It is through those things that are worked in that slays the self-righteousness, that humbles that sinner, that takes away his pride, that brings him to the foot of the cross, that brings him to be nothing in self and everything in the Lord, that seems so opposite to how natural flesh would work. It doesn't stand up to reason. And yet that is how the Lord will be glorified in a sinner and in the life of his people. It is through his death and through that which he works in them. This is why our Lord said, and he emphasised this, ye must through much tribulation enter the kingdom. Our Lord said that in me ye shall have peace in the world, ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. 
and the people of God who shall overcome the world, they overcame him, overcame them by the blood of the Lamb, overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb. And in John, in his epistles, he says, this is the victory that we have over the world, even your faith. And that faith is the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's the faith that comes by the word of God. Now the Lord says in uh, John 17, I have given them thy word and the world has hated them. And so this is one of the things that are prior to the Lord Jesus, the life of Jesus manifest in the mortal flesh. We are delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, or bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord gives his dear people his word. And the effect of that, the world notices that, and they hate that word, they rise up against the word of God. But the life of God, remember the Lord Jesus Christ is the incarnate word, and the word of God is that which liveth and abideth forever. And the world hates the word of God. And Satan, he will manipulate it and use it to his own ends. Remember the temptations in the wilderness that Satan he came with the temptation first, command these stones that they may be made bread. For, uh, and then the Lord answered through the word of God. It is written, Thou shalt not live by man, shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So then Satan starts to use the word of God, twisting it and taking him up to the temple, cast thyself down from hither, for it is written, He shall uh, give his angels charge over thee, uh, and they shall bear thee up in their arms, lest thou dash thy foot upon a stone. The Lord said it is written again and he compares scripture with scripture Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God but Satan would try and use the word of God and the Lord answered Satan the Lord didn't say well because Satan is now using the word of God I'm going to forsake it no, he compares scripture with scripture and brings the true sense of the word of God and it is through the word that many of the persecutions, you think of the persecutions over the years, over the uh, centuries of the church, very often it is, it is been through the word of God. Certainly with the uh, Roman Catholic Church, and the institution of the Lord's Supper, uh, what it meant of the uh, blessing of the emblems, and those that held fast to the word of God and to what it set forth, they were persecuted because of that. And so when the Lord puts his, or would have his image upon his dear people, this is one of the evidences of the life of God, is that they have a people that have the word of God. And they hold to it, and they cleave to it, and they preach it, they walk it, they live it out, they won't let it go. The word has been used to bless them, to quicken them. They receive it as the word of God. They eat that word, it is their meat, it is their drink. Man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We may ask ourselves in this way, is the life of Jesus manifest in our mortal bodies? What do those round about us view how we view the word of God? Does it have any influence on our lives at all? I've often thought of this, especially in in business, you know, with our special services or whatever we have, we always put, God willing, if the Lord will. And I think 
people would rightly condemn us if we left it out and you said this is going to happen on such a time. But how many of you perhaps in business would then make an arrangement for a meeting or something that was going to happen equivalent to like our assemblies? How many of you put God willing on that? When you're writing an email to your colleagues, you're communicating to them, are you saying, well, if there's anything concerning the Church of God and the brethren, then it's subject to the will of God. But if we're making arrangements for a delivery on such a time or a meeting that's going to take place, that we don't mention that. Something to think about, isn't it? Do we have just a compartment religion just for those who speak the same language as ourselves? Or is the life of God? We're very mindful of this, that in him we live and move and have our being. If anything, through what we've been this last year, Surely it has taught us this. If the Lord will, we would do this or that. How many things have been turned upside down and changed and arrangements had to be different? But has the world noticed any difference with us or not? Is the life of our Lord manifest, obvious, in our mortal flesh, in our bodies in this way. Many of the Lord's dear people have had to suffer in the same ways that those that are not. Has there been a difference in how we are born under afflictions and trials and things that have come upon us. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ came upon this earth as it were in a time that I've often thought if if I was planning things I wouldn't have brought him upon this earth when a horrible ruler like Herod was on the throne and was prepared to kill all those Children in an attempt to destroy the Lord. If I could organise providence, I would have organised a much more conducive time for him to come. But that was not in the purpose of God. But did it mean then that Joseph and Mary said, well there's been a, a ruling of a census and we've got to go to Bethlehem but it's, it's only this ungodly ruler it's only worldly law anyway I'm not going they didn't and the scriptures were fulfilled in the birth thing at Bethlehem but in going and then what transpired we see the wonderful preservation of God in warning them they're fleeing to Egypt the fulfilling of the scriptures even in the slaying of those young children. Rachel weeping for her children because it would not be comforted because they are not. But the prophecy was to cease from weeping that there is hope in thine end. Those things even that our Lord went through the tribulations, the trials, in the Holy Scriptures of Truth, they reinforce and strengthen this is He. And in those things that He went through, the help of God, the providence of God, the reaction even of His parents to the laws of the land, How is it with us? We sing in our hymns, Providence unfolds the book and makes his counsel shine. And in the context of our text here, 
is not just spoken of as chance, but is delivered unto death. Those providences that are, are walked in, that are so contrary, and yet they work together for good. We have that in Romans 8, don't we? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. And the Apostle is saying here, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. There is the light of the Lord. We are perplexed, but not in despair. There is the life of the Lord. Persecuted, but not forsaken. And there is the life of the Lord. Cast down, but not destroyed. There is the life of the Lord. Don't ever let Satan say, well, if you were the Lord's people, you wouldn't be troubled on every side. You wouldn't be perplexed. You wouldn't be persecuted. You wouldn't be cast down. Maybe those of you this evening, you say, I am cast down. I am troubled on every side. I am perplexed. But there's a balance to it on each of these things. We're not exempt from the troubles and the trials. But the grace, the help, the strength that is given in them and these things are noticed. They're noticed by the church. They're noticed by the world as well. How that one keeps going or one has a secret strength, a secret help. Now many might have looked on the Apostle Paul and said, Paul, this thorn in the flesh that you have, this messenger of Satan, how, how, how do you bear it? How do you cope with that day by day? And you know what his answer would be. By the grace of God. My grace is sufficient for me. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And we're not to hide either where that strength is. No, it's one thing to point to the redeeming blood of God and say, behold the way to God. There's another thing, when we're in trials that may be the same as what those round about us are in, and to point where your strength and where your help is. It's a great blessing to be able to point to the Lord in that way and to glorify the Lord in that way. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Our house lies right next to an alleyway that people walk up and down from Cranbrook and up to the local secondary school. All the students are all past it. We've got two windows, one facing one way, one the other. We can have the big TBS posters on those and that is one of the texts we have on there. God is our refuge. And it's a privilege to testify of that. But it's also when people may be asking where our hope, where our strength is. When we have afflictions, when we have trials, recurring ones, and to be able to point where the source of help is. Not denying the trial, not denying our weakness, our mistakes, our poverty but giving the credit and glory to the Lord. Having received help of God, says the Apostle, we continue unto this present day. And he testifies of that help that he has received. We shouldn't be backward in making known where we have received that help. And quite often we have a neighbour that well, he, he himself is a counsellor. Many people used to come and, and see him, but he's in his in his eighties now, and he, he quite over, often come to 
unburden himself and to, to speak to us. Of course, we can't have him in our home now in lockdown, but he used to come in the home, and whenever he come in, I said, now Colin, I said, you know where we get our help and our strength from. And I take out the Bible, and I said, before you go, we're going to read the Word of God, we're going to pray. And one time I was bringing him back from the hospital, he came to a hospital appointment, he said, you know, he said, when you have the reading and prayer with me, he said, can you explain the reading, explain that? So that's what we do. It's been more difficult now. But you get these openings where those would seek help and you tell them where you get your help from. I can't point you any other direction, any other way, but this way. If we truly value the help of the Lord, if, if, if we'd been helped with some medicine or something like that, if we'd had a, some kind of some illness and we'd tried to find a remedy and we'd found something, some vitamin or something like that and done us good, we helped it, and then someone else had got the same problem, wouldn't we naturally say, you take this, you try this, this was a help to us? How much more so when we know the blessing of the Lord, the life of God, when we know the Lord Jesus Christ and the help that he has given us as we cry to him, groan to him, opened our hearts to him, poured out our heart before him. Pour out your heart before him, ye people. God is a refuge for us. Another aspect that comes before and to have the life of God manifests in the uh, mortal bodies is how we actually appear in this world. In Hebrews 11 we have a list of those that walked and lived by faith. And in many ways their faith was evidenced in, in different ways, in different paths looking at the words of our text, the life of Jesus manifest in their mortal flesh, how, how, how was it so? And, and we see the things that they did with Enoch, uh, he walked with God with Noah, he, he, he built an ark with Abel, he offered a more excellent sacrifice. But then when we come to verse 13, there is a description of the faith that is common as it were to them all. They saw the promises afar off and they embraced them. And this was their confession. It wasn't just a confession we might say to those that believe the same thing, but a confession to the world. Confess that they were strangers and pilgrims on he says, for they that say such things declare plainly that they see a country. One of the hymns says, let not this world our rest appear. How does the world, how does the church view our lives? The Lord said, if they have persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they have received my word, they'll receive your word. If they have done these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And all the time there's an identifying between him and his people. But how is it that we would be read in that way? Through all of our language and all of our life give the impression we live for this time or do we live for that which is to come? Are we taken up with the things of this world or do we hold it with a loose hand? If we'd have been at Jerusalem when the word was first preached 
and those that were pricked in their hearts that fell under conviction of the crucifixion of the Lord. And we wanted to see some evidence of the reality of the life of our Lord in their lives. And you see how those that had lands, they went, they sold them, those that had much, they gave to those that had poor, not much. The whole idea was a loosening of the things of time, the value of things of time. And the Apostle Paul, he speaks of what he had, and he had in a spiritual sense, with as a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He said, those things I count but love, uh, but dross and dung, that I might win Christ and be found of him. Our Lord in his parables, he spoke of those that found the pearl of great price. When they valued that, they sold everything that they might buy that pearl. They found the treasure in the field. So they sold everything that they could buy that field and have that treasure. And all the time that there's this idea, if we have this treasure, as the Apostle says here, in earthen vessels, it will make other things to be what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, vanity, a vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. The earth and the things of it dim, its glories pass away, because we live for that which is beyond the grave. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read the Apostle saying, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, with all men most miserable. And that's a solemn thing. If we can say, well, we are a Christian, we are a believer in Christ, but all we want to do, and I've, I've heard it in so many so-called churches, Life has never been better since we've been a believer. We can now live Christ to the full. And what is happening, their life is just going on in all of the world, in all its amusements, with Christ's name cast in. And that's the only difference that has happened. It hasn't made any difference to the love of the world. The Lord has said, Whosoever will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God, whose charms and charm, all of these things of this world, they would take us away from the Saviour. All the time draws aside. But when we see that this is under the curse, and that there's tribulation and trouble and sorrow and the Lord is not here, not in person. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And it is that that will be very evident to those that look on to that person that all their language, all their life, all what they say and all that they do, while the Spirit is with them, we have at the end of Revelation 22, the Spirit and the Bride say come. All the letters to the churches, the churches appointed the same as the Old Testament, look for Christ's first coming, they look for Christ's second coming. And they long, they look for that wherein dwells righteousness because they know and they feel that here there is the unrighteous, here is the sin, here is the sorrow, this is the curse. This is not your rest. It is polluted. And where this is known and this is found, it manifests the life of God within. If the Lord Jesus Christ has given his people eternal life, they are his inheritance. He is their inheritance. He's gone to prepare a place for them. They have mansions above, but they live here below as if none of that existed as if he was nothing to them. That doesn't bear the witness of the life of Christ within. But where the life of Christ is made manifest, the Lord has so ordered it with his people that it is through tribulations, through deaths, through sorrows, through griefs, through those things in which the Apostle says, I must decrease that he might increase. It is to be brought low, a 
and then be lifted up by the Lord. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. It, it points to the death of the cross, crucifixion, which was a slow death. And the Apostle says, The world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. The world does not want the Lord's people. The Lord's people do not want the world. And it is through the Lord Jesus Christ that that is so. The giver of life and the one that they desire as the Apostle did to depart and be with Christ which is far better. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And this was evidenced in his life and in all the things that he went through, those troubles and those trials, it didn't extinguish the life of God within. Remember when the Lord told the parable of the sower, there was only one that bore fruit. The others, the seed was either taken straight away or it was that it was in stony ground, there was no root to it. When there came persecution, then they were offended. Or if it was in where there was the thorns, the cares of this world, they choked the word that it become unprofitable. Those things that, those cares of the world, those things that come against the word, they come against the word in God's people as well. Those trials, those tribulations, the fires who try every man's work of what sort it is. But where the life of God is within, is like Bunyan's pilgrim was shown. Water was put on the flame one side, but oil the other. A secret supply, a secret help. Dear friends, the trials and troubles that God brings and appoints in your life, may we look upon them as a friend. May we look upon them as some things appointed to bring us to the Lord for his grace, for his help, that we might be a testimony and a help to others. Years ago I was speaking to a lady often passed walking in our town and I tried and tried to point her to the things of God. Her God was her garden. And one day, and she said of all the trials that she'd had in her life and her particular bereavement. And so I heard her out and I said, well, I said, when I was 25 my mother died of cancer. And she stopped and she said, and you still believe. You're still a believer and that happened. And it was through tribulation, it was through things that happened like that, that people stopped and said, are you still a believer? Many think, if God allows that, if he brings that into your life, isn't that what Satan said about Job? Job only served God because he'd hedged him about you bring a trial, you touch all his things, you curse thee to thy face. Naturally speaking, yes, but with the life of Jesus, with God's grace, no. And so our desire should be in our trials and our troubles that we seek that grace and help from the Lord and strength from the Lord, not denying the trial, the severity of it, the hardness of it, the weakness of our flesh, but seeking that this might be that opportunity, as it were, a gift from the Lord, that we may glorify the Lord, that his life might be manifest in our mortal flesh. The world cannot see the Lord. He is ascended up into heaven. He is in heaven, but he strengthens his people. Though I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, the Apostle Paul, when the Lord met with him on that Damascus road, he said, why persecutest thou me? Paul wasn't persecuting the Lord directly. He was persecuting his people. 
And Paul would have known of those people. He would have thought of those people. How they bore what I've done to them. <coughs> how they put up with what, how I've hailing men and women to prison. There's no wonder. And the Apostle refers to this. He could bear these troubles because he said, I have seen others that have walked in this way and the grace that they've had. And this is the grace that he had. And maybe that which we realise as well, the help of the Lord. I know I've imperfectly said this before you, but dear friend, meditate upon these two verses. The contrast here about the death, bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Manifest, clear, obvious to the eye and mind, to show forth the praises of him who has called us out of nature's darkness and into his marvellous light. Some might think, well if we're going to do that, it's only a matter of speaking and, 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 and praising the Lord and worshipping the Lord and going to the Lord's house. But the Lord has said, no, you must through much tribulation. And it's in that tribulation, in their trials, where did Joseph glorify the Lord? Where did Daniel glorify the Lord? Where did the three Hebrew children glorify the Lord? Where did Naomi glorify the Lord in her bereavement and Ruth's bereavement and why did Ruth cleave to Naomi because she saw how she dealt under those same trials that she was under as well. Our Lord was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, more afflicted than any man and may we count it a privilege if we're called to walk in his steps and manifest his life in our trials and those things we pass through to his honour and to his glory. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. May the Lord add his blessing. Amen.